I'm Dietrich Hunter, and this is Curate Curiosity. Today's episode is brought to you by The Healing. The Healing is a nonprofit organization founded in June 2020 by Andrew Smith and Tristan Lewis. The Healing supports black and brown men in the city by creating spaces and experiences that encourage mental wellness through social events, academic forums, and yoga practice. In addition to creating community for personal growth and positive change, The Healing is currently focused on fundraising to strengthen education and mental health services for young people in Chicago. To hear more about The Healing's weekly yoga sessions and upcoming events, follow The Healing Shy on Instagram. If we reduce human beings to being simply physical, as Western thought is prone to do, our poverty alleviation efforts will tend to focus on material solutions. But if we remember that humans are spiritual, social, psychological, and physical beings, our poverty alleviation efforts will be more holistic in their design and execution. Stephen Corbett, When Helping Hurts. Sociologist Jessica Oladapo put it this way, we need to be careful not to reduce multidimensional people into one-dimensional ideas. Salt and Light Coalition is a grassroots movement mobilizing individuals and organizations to empower survivors of trafficking to live meaningful and purposeful lives. As we hear more about the impact of the Salt and Light Coalition, we'll take a look at the way that autonomy, choice, recognition of the whole person, and personal goals play a huge role in their success, as well as their ability to continue helping without hurting. This is Dietrich Hunter with Curate Curiosity again, um, here with Michelle, excited to hear more about uh, the Salt and Light Coalition. Uh, Michelle, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. So as I said, my name is Michelle Bassana and I am the operations manager of Salt and Light Coalition. Um, I've been with this organization for about a year, and prior to that, I was volunteering with the organization, helped ran the first gala that we had, and thankfully it was very successful, and here I am now. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome uh, to Curate Curiosity. What has your attention right now? Maybe a new drink, maybe a recipe that you've been working on, a hobby that you've been catering to during this time? Maybe it's family or specific, um, yeah, show, anything. What has your attention right now, Michelle? I feel like outside of work, friends, my attention's always focused on working out. It's a huge stress reliever for me. And of course, during this time of 2020, I feel like everyone needs an outlet and that's kind of been the thing. And specifically this year, I've actually started taking up uh, hip hop classes. I've <laughs> um, been wanting to do that for a while. And so now I was just like, you know what, now's the time. So I signed up for um, an eight week hip hop course. So that's what I've been doing. 
That is incredible. I'm going to pause here because that sounds amazing. Where would someone find an eight-week hip-hop course in Chicago? So I actually signed up at Visceral. It's on uh, Western Elston and Diversity. It's an amazing course. So they have actually in-person and virtual. They're obviously doing wonders because I feel like I'm ready to step up to the next level. That is incredible. I think I fancy myself a bit of a dancer, not like crazy, going to teach anybody anything, but just keeping a rhythm and learning a new move here and there. The kids are always like trying to <laughs> teach TikToks and do them and stuff. But that's really cool. I think that that's a, a great way to yeah, move around. I think being in motion is a great way for me to clear my head as well. So I definitely identify with that. And dance is something that I I wasn't sure if that was still happening during COVID. So it's good to know that, you know, learning new dances and getting out and mingling with people is still alive and well, because I think that that's something that I thought for sure was a casualty at this time. So awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a nice outlook just because we can't be in big groups and dance anymore. Um, so yeah, if you have any questions, just let me know. Um, we do wear masks or social distancing and just a big room with music and learning choreography. Yeah, we'll, we'll for sure have to drop the link for Visceral uh, a little bit later uh, when we kind of move to publishing this and yeah, let the people know because that's what we're all about, getting people exposed and connected to cool things happening in their city. So now as we pivot uh, towards more of what we came here kind of to talk about, this idea of the Salt and Light Coalition and this other overarching idea that we're trying to like aim at of, you know, intersecting and helping um, without hurting, right? Um, I think that there's a need to understand how to intersect uh, our world and not just simply um, tell people um, how to change or what to be or become, um, but to support people in their personal goals and their journey that they're already on. Um, so as far as Salt and Light Coalition, where did it all start? What are the origins of this organization? So it started off with our founder, Isabel. She used to volunteer at the prison and she used to teach yoga. And she found a gap in services that were offered to women who were out of prison and trying to get back into the workforce development. Um, a lot of these women are um, in the system prior to getting a, a high school education. Um, once they're out, they have a criminal record. Um, so it's really difficult for them to become independent and you know transition to this new life that they want. So our answer is workforce development. So she created a year-long program that first is in two phases. The first one is healing, so the women can kind of regain a sense of self. Um, after six months, then we go strictly into job training where they are taught how to build a resume, how to interview, how to network, and then eventually we teach them how to job search, get them set for the real world and so that they can make a living on their own. That's really beautiful. And with your one year, you know, workforce development program, I've heard and interacted with, you know, some of the galas, I've done some volunteering, I've been uh, a friend of Isabel's uh, and their family for just a little bit of time through uh, my in-laws. But one of the things that I find is really, really cool, um, that really caught my eye is that you refer to the resilient women that are part of your program as thrivers. Um, and I think that that's just a beautiful idea of how you empower people um, to see themselves as more than what they've been through. 
Um, and I think that that's, that's just an incredible part, I think, of your story and your origins and, and uh, your organization overall. Thank you. Yeah, so we kind of coined the term thriver, mostly because I feel like survivor kind of gives them still a stigma that they're really associating to their past. And so our one year program is really about transformation, transforming to the woman that they want to be. And so they're really thriving and kind of leaving behind that survivor mentality and more of you're thriving to this new life. It's really huge. I think even when we, I'm a part of a, an organization that also is founded on black men doing yoga together um, as a form of healing, it's called the Healing Chicago. Um, and we have instructors come out, uh, all instructors of color, all of them are black instructors, male and female. Um, and I think maybe even some non-binary, but um, it's this idea of we can um, break out of survival mode. Um, we can break out of, you know, resisting having emotion. We can break out of making decisions that don't reflect a lifestyle of longevity um, or of impact in community, right? We can live beyond reactionary behavior. And I think that that is just a sweet message to send out to, you know, communities at large, um, especially, uh, you know, underrepresented, underserved, under, um, disenfranchised communities, oppressed communities. I think that there are so many things that can come from this that aren't people's choice for themselves. And the mindset that surrounds and can shroud people is often a bigger and more insidious part of the oppression that they've experienced and the society that we're a part of. So I really appreciate, again, those small things that you all have done to identify the best way to empower um, that's really, mm -hmm. really, really beautiful. So personally, then, how does your story um, intersect the organization? What made you decide to join their work and get involved? I have to give credit to my mom. You know, you say the word resilient, and I feel like at such a young age, I realized my mom was such a resilient person. You know, she migrated here from the Philippines. Both my parents didn't really have a lot but they always had a lot to give. My mom always taught me, you know, you grow, you wake up in the morning, you have a roof, you're healthy, then give to others that don't even have that. And so that's always stuck with me. Growing up, I kind of, I guess, built my own motto. And I've heard this somewhere of like, blowing someone else's candle does not make yours shine any brighter. And I feel like I try to live my life in that way of, I'm going to shine and I'm going to help other people shine. And just because they're not, just because they're shining doesn't make me dim. Um, yeah. So along with like what my mom has taught me, I always try to give to others. Like if their candles and shining as bright as mine, like, and I have something left to give, I will give to them so that they shine theirs. And along with the women, um, I think that I have a lot to offer, whether it is me, you know, working there or me being an, another person to lean on or me kind of just educating or volunteering. Um, a lot of those women don't have a support system. And I was fortunate enough, even though my family didn't have a lot growing up, I was loved and I had that support system. And I feel like for a lot of the thrivers in the program, you know, that's what they need is support system of people who believe in them. And in our name, Salt and Light Coalition, we do lean on that. We're a coalition, we're a community. Um, and I feel like within my personal life of having an amazing support system, I'm providing that also with the women. I really appreciate that. And that, that 
you know, personal mantra or, you know, mindset that you hold blowing out someone else's candle doesn't make your shine brighter. That is, that is something that you want. That's really, really something that I think our listeners and really anyone can at this tumultuous time really cling to, because I think it recognizes an equity between each of us, this idea that we all have a candle that we want to be shining and, you know, blowing someone else's out really doesn't, you know, help us at all. Um, and it doesn't actually assist them in understanding, you know, you at all. So I think that it's, it's really, I think that that's a, a beautiful way to look at impact and um, personal, um, yeah, reflection. So as far as impact overall, I think when I see your organization, I really wanted to lean into this episode because of this next question. What is your organization's impact on communities of color and more specifically the black community? With trafficking, traffickers usually prey on people who are vulnerable. A large demographic that hits are people from lower income or poor communities. And unfortunately within Chicago, that does affect a large number of black people. And so our organization, we're helping the Black community in the sense of, you know, unfortunately, if they are trafficked, once they get out of the system, they're not, again, affected by the system. Again, we are providing a service that will help them get back on their feet, will help them get out of their neighborhoods, will help them not having to resort to voluntary prostitution because that's all they know. Aside from offering our program, I think something else our program does, it offers a sense of hope and almost a sense of having role models by the volunteers that uh, come in. Because within our program, um, we are aside from myself, my colleague and Isabel, um, volunteer base. So we have a lot of volunteers that are black, people of color that come in, teach yoga, teach public speaking, um, teach improv, teach job training, are Black, people of color, and I feel like for the women, they have someone that they can relate to, someone that they can say like, hey, that can be me. And so it's not just the material, but it's also the sense of hope that they can get inside themselves and see other successful Black people that, you know, that they can one day be them. It sounds interesting to like hear that because I think that there's an aspect of you know, people think about, you know, how can we impact? How can we impact? And you go and you maybe would ask someone, what should we do? Or you, like you said, could just simply point to one or two people, but it sounds like your organization's model is not even just to ask uh, what can be done, but ask for partnership and involvement in that mission. And I think that that is, again, back to this idea of people who experience um, the change that we want to see uh, being told that change experience that as harm, right? When you tell someone what they have to do um, or make people do certain things or don't highlight their strengths, they experience that as harm, right? But when even this idea of mobilizing members of the Black, Indigenous, you know, people of color community and bringing them aboard to um, your mission and finding um, ways for them to be involved, to provide new on-ramps and new models for the thrivers and participants in the program is a, a great idea. Bringing in leadership from Black and people of color communities to allow there to be kind of a mutual understanding that A, we don't have all the answers and B, 
we want uh, you to be a participant in your own growth and, and inviting the black community to, to participate in that growth of um, people who have, you know, been vulnerable and been trafficked is, is a beautiful model. And I think I'm understanding more of how um, you all have experienced some success because of that involvement and partnership with, with others and getting other mm -hmm. people involved. You know, some people don't realize how, um, how much it can affect someone just from volunteering and having that small interaction, knowing that like, for me, I feel like sometimes the women may not be able to relate to me because I don't have the same background as them, or maybe I don't look like them and they, you know, it's hard to relate. But once you have a volunteer that maybe has that connection, like it does go a long way and the women really do kind of cling on to that. And that it does give them that hope, maybe not for the entire program, but for that day. And it really does make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I volunteered even just, you know, in a small capacity at one of the first galas and, you know, setting up tables, um, you know, taking coats, pouring wine and, you know, making sure people felt welcomed in the space so that they could hear uh, the mission and message and impact of the organization is something that for me, I was even hooked by that experience. And I had already known some of trafficking, but to see what the Salt and Light Coalition is doing in my city um, is something that I think upended my idea of trafficking again and kind of gave me a new lens by which I could A, get involved, but B, um, really understand how our society in ways is complicit with maintaining um, systems that, that perpetuate trafficking. So I think that it's necessary to um, get involved in small ways and always, because I think that any, any on-ramp is going to bring new knowledge and hopefully that brings change. You're listening to Who You Are by Sam Arias. You can find more Sam Arias music and merch on Spotify and at samariasmusic.com. That's S-A-M-A-R-I-A-S music.com. So based on that question about impact, I kind of have a dual sided question um, that we kind of talked about before this idea of what do you hope is more true in the world, uh, because the salt and light coalition exists? And, and what do you also hope is less true? So I would say more true um, women empowering women. I've been fortunate enough, I feel, to be in situations, whether it's like a basketball team or a close group of friends growing up, that I've always had supportive women in my life. And it truly does make a difference. And a lot of the women in the program, they're in a very reactive state because of their past experiences. A lot of the thrivers come in feel isolated alone because, you know, the other women are basically, they were their competition at one point in their life. And they always had to fend for themselves. So they never had anyone rooting for them and never had anyone to relate to. A big difference, as I've mentioned before, is the fact that we are a community, we're a coalition, we're in this together. 
and the growth the women have once they leave is amazing. You know, they come in as individuals, they leave as a family, as a group. And I think that's what really aids in their transformation. And I feel that is more true within the world of people supporting people and other people not tearing them down. Even, I guess, relating to my whole candle analogy, like, you know, you don't have to blow someone else's candle to make your shine brighter. And I think as a whole, the women really do uh, succeed if they're rooting for each other. It's really, really huge. I love that idea of, of moving from enemy to family, right? Whether it would be based on what's happening in prison or what was happening on the street before of competing and kind of having these women compete with each other in, in really gruesome ways. I think that that is so interesting to think and not interesting. It's fascinating to me to see that's a literal change of like taking somewhere where there could have been like, you know, metaphorical drought and bringing mm-hmm. a spring of water. I think that that is, that is so, so, um, you know, that's a vivid picture in my mind now hearing you say that. And then I guess less true that I want to put out there is the stigma that, you know, trafficking only happens internationally. We get a lot of people who ask, like, who are the women in the program? Are they from like India or like Asia? And you know, shockingly, a lot of the women within the program are all from America, all in Chicago, actually. It's very prevalent, actually, in Chicago. And, you know, modern day slavery isn't what is the movie Taken, where someone's just captured. A lot of it does happen from someone you know, someone that, you know, like I said, traffickers prey on the vulnerable. And, you know, you could be vulnerable from someone you know, someone that you love, and it just happens. Um, So it's just becoming aware of what actually trafficking is nowadays. That's really huge. And I love that you refer to like a very clear cultural example of like what people think of when they think this, um, because I think that that helps people really upend their assumptions and that upending of their assumptions can hopefully make way for again, new understanding and transformation. Um, And that transformation can lead to more support for the the beautiful work you're doing and, and, you know, bringing, bringing springs of water and rivers to a dry land. Another thing that I think I'd want to know in this work, you've been at it for a year officially um, and even volunteering on the side of that. What is, or has been your proudest moment in like helping in this way? That's such a tough question just because, you know, like there's so many different situations and it's hard to say my proudest. I think proud moment overall is knowing that I can help the women from not just directly helping them, I guess. I've had uh, one of the thrivers just text one of my coworkers just saying how she's so thankful about being in the program. And just basically, she didn't say one situation I helped her in, but she just said how, you know, it's great to have great role models, someone, people to surround her with, and that she felt that I was very easy and open to talk to. Like I said before, a lot of the women never had people like that, never had women to support them. And knowing that me just being who I am, I'm able to be an outlet for someone. With my role, I do operations. So I'm usually at the back end. I'm doing like, I'm working with our auditors. I'm working with our lawyers. I'm doing 
things, not directly with the thrivers, but knowing the little interactions I have are making a big impact in their lives. So it's, it makes me happy to know that. I really appreciate that because I think that conceptualizing impact is, is, you know, some kind of monolith or one direct action um, could be, you know, damning and potentially a pitfall for people who either want to participate or um, maybe get jaded along the way. And I think that it can be good to take a step back um, being a teacher and kind of working in youth work even before that. Um, it's easy to have, you know, questions about your impact or not be sure uh, if you're being effective or how to, you know, rate success. Um, so I think that that's good to realize that you can identify and we're even able to hear from someone that the impact you have on the back end is still bleeding through as care, still coming through as affection and, uh, and positive uh, modeling and just real connection, right? Relationship is impact. And I think that that's a, a beautiful part. Um, on the flip side, do you think that you've had any difficult times uh, experiencing life in this setting or trying to cope with interacting with trauma, either personally or vicariously through, through the Salt and Light Coalition? So as I mentioned, I've been with the organization for about a year. Prior to that, I've worked in financial services for several years. So I was more in a business corporate setting, worked with professionals, investors, um, managers. So a big struggle that I have with myself is actually interacting more with the thrivers. It's more personal. It's more emotional. Um, and I really wasn't ready for that. A shout out to all you therapists out there because I truly have a new appreciation for you. I'm used to coming into work, clicking on my computer, working on a project, looking at Excel, looking at emails, but you know, my job does entail that now. However, now instead of interacting with businesses and clients, I'm working with people with trauma, with stories that like really weigh on them. And I'm an empath, I'm empathetic. So when they tell me something, I feel it. And so that just really wasn't something I was prepared for in a professional setting. I'm still working on it, but like a year into it, I realized I'm like, okay, I need to be able to like set boundaries. I need to like figure out like, how do I not let my thriver's personal life actually spill into my personal life because it, it was affecting me for a bit and I'm still learning. I 100% identify that. And again, big shout out to everyone in a helping profession, whether that be frontline, you know, healthcare providers or people doing work uh, on the community level to organize or teachers or, you know, people working in assisted living facilities. All of these places can have things that can weigh on you and that can kind of jump out or jump inside and really touch things that have happened to you, right? And, and highlight those things in a way that either triggers trauma and and again just shout out to boundaries right it's real mm -hmm. so that's a real word and i think that it's something that year seven i mean of teaching for me is like still working on it so last year was one of the hardest years in that same way for me around you know drafting stronger boundaries and really also dealing with personal trauma right because i think that mm -hmm. that's the aspect that also happens is that you know you don't you, you can't connect something with nothing right so if it's mm -hmm. connecting with you it's it's connecting 
it's to you something know. you know what i mean so i think that that was for me you know really processing losing students is uh probably the biggest struggle in my job so i definitely understand this idea of just feeling just weighted and feeling mm-hmm. just disrupted and totally insecure in you know your ability to deliver results in a situation that is out of your control um and i think that that's something that i'm growing in so shout out to you for mentioning those boundaries michelle that is huge so i guess as we kind of pivot um out was there anything else that you just simply wanted to share in general about salt and light coalition before we kind of get some aspects of what might be um next for for your group i guess like shout out to our staff i guess thinking about how you know the women are so resilient well i guess both of us staff and the thrivers of just being agile and adjusting and transitioning a lot this year i think for a lot of the women i'm just very proud of them because everyone's going through some sort of mental or emotional state with 2020 and everything being virtual being isolated and for a lot of the women they came into this year already with some sort of mindset. So being able to force them into this virtual isolated setting, a lot of them were very resilient and I'm very proud of them for sticking with the program, not falling back to any of their vices that might've helped them get through some difficult times in the past. And they really held on to hope. They really held on to the coalition. They held on to us and, you know, we are having, um, one of our graduating cohorts this December and they went through a lot. And so I'm really proud of them and I'm proud of, you know, our organization for being able to, for being so small, for being able to figure out how to switch it virtually so quickly and then be able to come back when we needed to. It's weird to think that all of us right now are making history. I think that that's always true, but now more than ever, and to think about sidestepping coping mechanisms to, to sustain a program that is, you know, growing someone in new ways in a new setting is, mm, that sounds like a rough road. So I appreciate that. Big shout out to everybody at Salt and Light Coalition. Well, is there anything coming up on the calendar in the next few months, any specific events uh, that are happening? I heard something about a potential 5k and some other things coming up around the holidays. Um, Yeah, what could you share with us that listeners could maybe look out for um, on social media or just in general? Yeah, so um, continuing on this virtual world and um, fitness, uh, we do have a virtual 5K that's happening on November 13 through 15. Uh, You can sign up through, we have um, signups on our Instagram, Facebook, you'll see promotions for that. And Giving Tuesday is actually around the corner. And for those of you who are not familiar with what Giving Tuesday is, it's the first Tuesday after like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, it's just a day dedicated for nonprofits. You can donate to straight to our organization. Um, I know if you donate through our Facebook page, Facebook matches donations up to 5 million. So check us out on those things. Awesome. Giving mm-hmm. Tuesday is coming. And where can people kind of connect with you best? You, you mentioned maybe Facebook, Instagram. Could you kind of run down uh, the social media and, and other contacts that, that people could use to get involved or get connected? Yeah, so um, Instagram, Facebook, those are ways to get connected. But if you really want to get connected, get involved, you can go to our website at saltandlightcoalition.com. 
go under the tab get involved and just send in an application and we you'll probably talk to me um, and I can give you more details about the different opportunities and how to get involved. Incredible, Michelle. Well, I really appreciate you for coming on and sharing your story with me and the listeners of Curate Curiosity. I think it's been interesting to hear more about how this work has many facets. It isn't just interaction formally with those growing through a specific program or organization, but these organizations have a back end that must be sustained that also has a lot of weight and provides a service that is going to transform our world and our city. So again, can't thank you enough for sharing your perspective. Loved having you on. Thank you. Today's episode is brought to you by Sankofa 1619 LLC. Sankofa 1619 LLC's primary purpose is to reclaim our past, redefine ourselves, and reconnect to our truth as black people. In an effort to expand the idea of blackness and reconnect to our roots, Sankofa 1619 works as an umbrella organization with projects ranging from independent historical dance films and dance fitness, seminars, children's books, guided breathwork meditation, and much more. These works have been given birth to bring awareness to global influences of the African diaspora and break free from the conditioning of Eurocentric ideas. With historical context, through the medium of art, Sankofa provides the audience with the opportunity to connect to that which is already there, our truth, which has been hidden, misinterpreted, and or stolen by colonization. Support Sankofa 1619 LLC by following them today on Instagram to hear more about their upcoming projects. I'm Dietrich Hunter, and this is Curate Curiosity.